We come to the second part then of Revelation chapter 21, which runs from verse 9 to the end. Tonight I especially want to bring your attention, in particular, having the glory of God. And then in the verse 23, for the glory of God, delighting it, the glory of God it possesses, and the glory of God illuminates it. So the camera is focusing on the city itself and showing us that city in the vision in much greater detail. Now there's no question about this city being the Lamb's wife. It says that. We know what the Lamb's wife is. That's the church. That's the bride. That's all the people of God as they're come together in the consummation at the end of the world forever with the Lord. The marriage supper of the Lamb. So we have all the church here at its conclusion and final consummation as all the saved come down together into the new heavens and the new earth. And it's called the new Jerusalem. Now notice who speaks to John to show this vision onto him. Verse 9, it was one of the seven angels which had the seven vials which contained the last plagues of God's judgment. And he says, come hither, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit. Now that language is very similar to language that occurs in chapter 17. We looked at that at the time when we looked at chapter 17. So this is bringing us back to chapter 17 because of the similarity of the language. In fact, I believe it's the same angel. Because there also in chapter 17, one of the angels which had the seven vials, he showed me, he said, come hither. So I think it's the same angel identified with the seven vials. Of course, there were seven of them. But this is one in particular who shows John these visions in chapter 17 and then this vision in chapter 21. So you'll see there, if you compare chapter 21 verse 9, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And then chapter 17 verse 1, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore. So this angel is showing two women in chapter 17, an unclean woman, an unclean bride. The whore, the harlot, Babylon. But now in chapter 21, he's showing John another woman, a bride, a pure bride, a spotless bride, the Lamb's wife, the holy Jerusalem. So chapter 17, the city of the world, Babylon, the unclean city, the unclean bride. Chapter 21, the new Jerusalem, God's city, and the clean and the pure bride. It also says there, verse 10 of chapter 21, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. And then if you compare that with chapter 17, verse 3, He carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness. So there are different places that the angel brings him in the vision. In chapter 17, it's into the wilderness, because that's where the church is at the particular time, in the wilderness. 
and the Babylon is in control and judging over all and the church, the bride, is being persecuted. But now he's bringing them into the great high mountain and he's showing him the new city, the eternal city. And he's carrying him away in the spirit. The same angel carrying out the same method of showing him the vision, carrying him away in the spirit. And in both visions, though in different places, the wilderness and then a great high mountain, in each he's shown a woman. The woman in 17 is a scarlet woman and she's sitting on a coloured beast. You'll see then there's a comparison and a contrast between Babylon, 17, and Jerusalem, chapter 21, the two women, the two cities. And in chapter 17, that angel with the vials of wrath is bringing about the destruction of that harlot woman. And chapter 17 is about the downfall of that city, the destruction of that city. And so the angel who showed the destruction of one woman, who's now ruined and destroyed and eternally judged, is now showing to us the other woman, who's an eternal woman, who has eternal glory and delights in the presence of the Lord. And so you see there is a comparison and the contrast, and that's why this same angel is doing this with John and these two occasions. So both chapters are linked and in your study of this book you have to link them together 17 and chapter 21 and the two cities are in sharp contrast. So Babylon is the world city it persecutes Christ's bride it perishes. The persecuted bride triumphs and the heavenly city continues into eternity forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's how this Bible story is ending, with the end of the tale of these two cities. And that's really what the Bible is all about. It's the story of two cities. It's the story of the world city. What the world is trying to do to build something eternal here, without God. A city without God. A city that will cover the whole earth, cover the whole world and control everything and all the people but without God. The story of Babylon. And then there is the story of the church. The city that God is building. That one day will cover the whole earth. And the whole cosmos. In his son Jesus Christ. So, so it's the story of two brides. The story of two women. That produce seed. An unclean woman. Who produces the seed of the serpent. And the pure church of Christ. That produces the pure seed of the word of God and of the saints. So that's what the Bible is all about. And here we're having it here in, in these two sharp visions in chapter 17 and in chapter 21. So we saw the fall of Babylon in chapter 17 and now we see the bride. What becomes of her who was persecuted? Now we see her completed. Now we see her married and satisfied and purified and reigning in the new age with her bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most important question of all is that can be asked and ought to be asked and in every gospel meeting it should be asked, to what city do you belong? To which is your allegiance given? Are you building in Babylon? Are you in union with the world? Are you in union with the harlot? 
Have you received the mark of the beast? Are you in covenant with the God of this world? Are you blinded by the God of this world and deluded by the whore Babylon? And all that you have is in this world. Or have you been brought out by Jesus Christ? And you're a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. And you're looking for a city that hath foundation. Whose builder and maker is God. You only see it by faith. You're looking up to that city by faith now. But at the consummation it'll come down and it'll be completed. Is that what you're looking for? Do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to the church of Jesus Christ? Have you come on to the heavenly Zion? To the city of the living God? To the innumerable company of angels as the apostle describes us in Hebrews chapter 12? Are we like Abraham who is the father of all the faithful? What did he do? He looked for a city. He travelled as a pilgrim through Canaan and he looked for a city that hath foundation whose builder and maker is God. Are we following in the steps of Father Abraham? Are we identified with this city? Do we have faith in Jesus Christ? Are we looking up to the heavens where Jesus is and we're not trusted in any high priest in Babylon or in Rome or in anything that would be given to us as counterfeit by Satan himself. The Bible's very clear about it. Here, we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. And here's coming. It's coming down now in Revelation chapter 21. Now this vision then is of a great eternal city. Now I remind you, it's a vision. That's all it is. It's a vision that's setting forth a reality. But the reality is far more wonderful than the vision itself. And that the vision can, can convey. Because we're talking about things that are unspeakable. Indescribable. What's the new heaven and the new earth and being with the Lord? What's it going to be like? Like nothing on this earth. It's indescribable. And so the best way to describe it is of a perfect city, a perfect community in which God is dwelling. And so it's, it's put into us in vision form. And so I don't want you to think that this will have a literal fulfillment, a physical fulfillment, and there'll literally be 12 gates and all of this and that. I, I think it's a vision that is setting for something far more wonderful than any material city that we could ever see. But it does set forth something that is true and real nonetheless, but far more wonderful than the vision itself in its material form. Now in this description of the city, the heavenly city, it has to be highlighted a particular verb. And that verb is the verb to have. And that verb is occurring here in chapter 21. We've already looked at things that it doesn't have. It doesn't have darkness. It doesn't have suffering. It doesn't have pain. It doesn't have death. It doesn't have tears and crying. All of that's passed away. And this city doesn't possess anything of that. But as well as being told the things that it doesn't have, we are told the things that it does have. And so in verse 11, 
when we come to the actual description of the city, the first word is the verb have. Having. What does it have? Having the glory of God. And then in verse 12, and had. There it is again. Had a wall. Great and high. And had twelve gates. In verse 12 we're also so told. And then in verse 14. The wall of the city had twelve foundations. So we're told about things that it has. The glory of God. A great wall. Twelve gates. Twelve foundations. Now, this is something the Spirit of the Lord is pointing out. But what really stands out is the first thing. Isn't the first the most important? Isn't it really what stands out with John, the primary thing? Where are you going to begin, John, when you describe this city? What's the thing that really stands out? And he just mentions it straight away. Having the glory of God. That's bound to stand out. That's the most wonderful thing of all about it, isn't it? It has the glory of God. And I think we have to pause here with John, the man of God, because he writes this down first. Whatever else the new Jerusalem has, whatever is great within it or about it, whatever is its most wonderful blessings, this is the chiefest of all. It possesses the divine glory of Almighty God Himself. Now, there, it would be no new heaven and new earth without the glory of God. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if it didn't have the divine glory. And the consummated church wouldn't be the consummated church in the new heavens and the new earth if it didn't have the divine glory. And that's, that's what it does have. The divine glory. Heaven must have its king, first and foremost. And the church consummated and completed must have its king first and foremost and what is there about its king he's the king of glory he's the glorious king that's what stands out about him you remember psalm 24 lift up your heads O ye gates there are plenty of gates here in this city we can sing this psalm here around this city Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up ye everlasting doors. Who is it that has to come in? The king of glory. The king of glory comes in. It has to have the king of glory. And it does. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle that had destroyed the world city. And all the, all the wicked and all his foes at the great Armageddon. The Lord strong and mighty coming into the city. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Who has this glory? It is the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And that's the most wonderful thing about God, is his glory. His glory brings wonderful things to his people. It brings terrible things to sinners, but it brings wonderful things to his people. Remember, that's what David wanted to see when he was in the tabernacle of the Lord. He wanted to be in God's house. Why? To see his power and his glory. 
And now all the saints see it. And they see it every minute and every day throughout all eternity to see his power and his glory. This is the end of it all. What did the psalmist say? Thou wilt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. What is he talking about? He's talking about this glory here. The glory that is in the midst of the church forever and ever. This is what he is coming to. Do you remember the prayer of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest? Do you remember how he said, Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was? That's that a prayer was answered. He's been glorified now. He's received the power and the glory in his human nature. Even in his humanity, he's glorious. But the Lord didn't only pray about uh, being uh, a robe with the divine glory as the mediator. He also prayed that his people would see his glory. And so he goes on later on and says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And this answered now, this is it. They're beholding the glory of God and of the Lamb in perpetuity throughout all eternity according to this vision. And the end of the world is called the glory being revealed. At the end when he comes back again, he comes in the glory of his Father. And here it is. So, so this is a wonderful thing that we are being told about in this vision. And we mustn't pass over it quickly. But we have to reflect upon it. Now of course, even now, the church of God has something of the glory of God. We have it every Sabbath. Something of the glory of God amongst us. The Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I'll be the light of the world in the new heavens and the new earth. He says, I'm that now. I'm the light of the world now. I've come now. He's come now. And we have something of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And that happened at the incarnation. And the birth of our dear Lord. Whenever he came amongst us at the first. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. The glory of the Lord has shone into the church of Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me. And we're talking about now shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So we're walking in the light now. That's why you're coming to church night tonight. Because you have something of the glory of God leading you, guiding you, bringing you to, to the people of God and to the word of God. You're not walking in darkness. You're not falling and stumbling. But you're going the right path because it is the glory of the Lord that is guiding you even now in this world. So we have something of it now. You remember in the wilderness? Uh, who, who was it brought them out of Egypt? Wasn't it the glory of God? Who led them through the wilderness? Wasn't it the glory of God that led them? You remember how the Bible says, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. They had it even then. The church in the wilderness. The persecuted, pursued church by Pharaoh and the armies of Pharaoh. They had the glory of God leading them and guiding them. You remember the glory of the Lord? The Bible says this. It abode on the Mount Sinai. It was there on the earth. They had a foretaste of it. 
They had a forerunner of it. You remember how that the Lord said, I will meet the children of Israel and they will be sanctified, their tabernacle in the midst of them. I'll sanctify it with my glory. With my glory. And that glory led them. That glory guided them. That glory protected them. And you remember whenever Jesus Christ came into the world, he tabernacled among us. He's a glory, you see. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We got a foretaste of it. We got a foreshadowing of that end glory when he will eventually dwell among his people, but we got a, a foretaste of it whenever he came into the world at the first, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. You remember Paul, who described the Israelites, he described them as having so many things. They had the covenants, they had the adoption, they had the law, they had the service of the tabernacle, they had the promises. But he also says, and the glory. They had the glory. They possessed it even then in their pilgrimage through faith. And we see that every Sabbath, don't we? And every time we seriously read the word of God and study Christ in the scripture, we are seeing the glory. Doesn't Paul say that? We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. So it's changing us week by week as we hear the word of God uh, proclaimed. If you're improved any in your Christian pilgrimage, if you're made any better or any brighter through the ministry of the word of God, it's because of the glory. It's because of the glory of the Lord in that word that is changing you to glory uh, and from glory to glory. And it's ongoing and it continues. But this is his final consummation at the end. So the church is always told in every generation, Arise, shine, for your light has already come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So don't forget it. You have it now. You possess it. Yes, you're waiting for it to come in all its completeness, but you possess it now already in the church of Jesus Christ. You remember how Paul was converted? How he described his conversion? There was a glorious light round about him. And he says, I could not see for the glory of the light. And that was the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's commenced now. But one day the veil is going to be completely removed. No longer just looking through a glass darkly. Face to face then. And the full glory of God we shall possess in all its unspeakable brightness. And so that's what we're thinking about tonight. Now Babylon doesn't have that. It doesn't have any glory at all. And those who belong to Babylon, they don't possess any glory in eternity. They go into the Gehenna. They go into the darkness, the awful darkness the eternal, never-ceasing darkness. They go into, not into the eternal life, but into the eternal death without God. A death with the never-dying worm. A death not with glory, but with shame. Everlasting, unending, perpetual shame. Nothing of glory. Babylon has to, is doomed to know nothing of glory 
but the church of Jesus Christ is predestinated to have the glory of God. Imagine that. Sinners. Poor, vile sinners who deserve the outer darkness and the everlasting shame that their sins deserves. And yet God has predestinated them to have eternal glory. Not eternal shame, but eternal glory. And that's only through the grace of their dear Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, the church enjoying this glory of God is, of course, enjoying its light. Because that's what glory is. Glory is light. And glory is identified with light. And you'll see in verse 11, that is enlarged upon, having the glory of God and her Light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So it has the light of the glory of God. And that light is solid. It's it's like a stone. It's like a precious stone, a jasper. It's like a jewel. It's like a diamond. It's heavenly. It's divine. It's Solid. Whenever we first read of this word jasper, uh, we are told about it in chapter 4, verse 3. He that sat upon the throne was to look upon like a jasper stone, like a diamond, like a jewel. He had a radiance and a glory, the Lord sitting on the throne. And now that glory just saturates the whole city, the whole stone, the whole glory of God. It's solid, it's unmovable. Because it's not like flickering light. It's not like uncertain light. No, it's, it's light out of a stone. Light out of a diamond. Solid, untouchable, unapproachable, unreachable, unchangeable. The Spirit of God calls it precious. The Spirit of God says it's as clear as crystal. It's glorious light. It's pure light. It's spotless light. It's the glory of God's Purity. The glory of God's spotless, unapproachable holiness. And God's people are dwelling in the midst of this. And enjoying this. And possessing this. In verse 22, it says there again, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. You see the association of the glory of God with the light of the Lamb. They're the same. It's the glory gives the light. It gives the divine illumination in the city. This is the glory of the world to come. There's nothing like it now. We have flickering lights. We have artificial light. We have natural light. We have the light of the sun. We have the light of the moon, but the glory of the world to come is only the glory of God. He is the light. He is the glory. He is everything. Whenever it talks about they have the glory of God, what it means is that the people of God are enjoying his presence without anything between. They're basking in his radiance. They're seeing him. They're communing with him. Now that word glory is the most important biblical word to impart to us some idea 
of that which is indescribable. The Bible doesn't really try to describe the world to come. It's, it's indescribable. It's impossible to describe it. But the word that it likes, the word that the Holy Spirit likes to give us to describe something of its indescribable beauty and wonder is this word glory. It's a wonderful word. Beautiful word. It's worth all the study of the many hundreds of times that it occurs in the Bible. What is heaven like? It's glory. That's all we can say. And it's not any ordinary glory. It's the divine glory. It's the glory of God. Bright, warm, radiant, blessed, wonderful. No more, as I said, artificial light or natural light or lamps or candles or anything like that. And this means negatively that there is nothing dark or bad, nothing scary, nothing frightening, nothing fearful, no dread, no fear, no ignorance, no darkness of ignorance because of the glory of God is all gone, no misery, no guilt, no sin, nothing like that, no feeling guilty, no feeling afraid, no fear, no tremors, no terror, no, no shivering, nothing like that. The glory of God just purges all that away. And positively that means that there is knowledge of God. Knowledge of his glory, knowledge of his grace, knowledge of all his attributes. And it's a glory that brings joy and peace and comfort and gladness. And it means a state of righteousness, a state of purity. A state of holiness. It's the glory that makes saints glorious. It's a catching glory. It's a transforming glory. It's a drawing glory. And it's the most wonderful thing. That God could ever give to his people. His own indescribable glory. To surround them. And to comfort them. And to bring them the peace unspeakable and full of glory. And it is unspeakable peace. Because it is a fullness of glory. Now the marvellous thing then about this glory of God. In the midst of his people. Is that it is a defence. The glory of God is the defence of the people of God. And the defence of the church. That's what it was coming out of Egypt, wasn't it? You remember that. Didn't Pharaoh find that? He's going to destroy them. He's going to pursue them. He's going to overcome them. But the glory of God went behind the people of God. That glory of God shone upon them. That glory of God they enjoyed. That glory of God was a hedge between them and Pharaoh's army. Protecting them, being a defence. Giving them the marvellous light. But that same glory that dealt so graciously with them brought darkness and judgment and destruction and shame to Pharaoh and his armies. And this divine glory, which is doing this to the new Jerusalem, bringing it all this radiance, that same divine glory destroyed Babylon and destroyed all the wicked 
and cast them into the outer darkness, away from the brightness of his glory, into the outer darkness forever and ever. The glory that saved Israel was the same glory that destroyed Egypt and will destroy Babylon. And so this glory that saves the people of God destroys the wicked. It's the glory that is a defense of the people of God. It's the glory that has saved them, the glory of the Lamb. It's the glory that keeps them and protects them forever, the church. And so the church is safe and secure because of this present glory. And as I said, we have it now. We're saved. Saved eternally. Because we have the glory of the Lord. We read in Isaiah that upon all the people of God, the glory shall be a defense. And where glory dwells, Satan can never enter again. Where glory dwells, temptation can never come again. And that's what this new city is about. It has the glory of God. It's a defense. Satan will never come in again. There'll never be another fall anymore. There'll be no temptation. There'll be no sin. Because the Lord is saying, I will be unto her a wall. Around about. Around about my people. A wall around about my people. And, Zechariah 2 verse 5, and will be the glory in the midst of her. And that's why we come on to the next thing that this city has. In the verse 12, had a wall. This is a raising out of the glory. No ordinary wall. It's an extraordinary wall. Identified with the glory of God. And it's called great and high. Great and high. Like no wall that was ever built before. It's the symbol of security. That's why it has 12 gates. That's why the city has 12 foundations. It's eternally secure. And this all arises out of the glory of God. Now we might think that the new Jerusalem doesn't need a wall. After all, all the enemies of God are in the Gehenna. It doesn't need a wall. And that is true. It doesn't need a wall. And I don't expect that there will be a wall. But for the purpose of the vision, we're told that this is, this is all it has. It has the glory of God as its defense. It's only a vision, but it's expressing the perfect peace and safety and the tranquility of the saints that will be endless throughout all eternity. Now, men's walls are easily breached. Men's walls easily decay and come down. You can break through men's walls eventually if you have the patience and the resources. But this is God's wall. And men will not be able to break it down. Unbreakable. And those in Gehenna are for staying there. They're not coming out. They're not going to breach heaven. They're not going to enter again amongst the people of God to tempt and to fall, especially this Satan, this old dragon. No, they are separated by the divine glory itself. And the church has a wall against it, around it. And the separation is eternal. This is not picturing universalism here when it talks about the gates. You'll see there are 12 gates here. 
Um, you know, maybe there are some who say, well, you know, eventually the people of Gehenna, they'll be welcome to come in. There's gates, sir. They can still come. Eventually everybody will be saved. That's not taught in the Bible. And that's not why these gates are the new Jerusalem, because, you know, more sinners can come out of the Gehenna and eventually fill it up. Universalism is not found in the Bible. And these gates are not here for the sinners that are damned to come in eventually into the peace of God. No, these gates are not for the people of Gehenna. These gates are for the saints, for their perfect liberty and freedom and glory that they have in Jesus Christ. These gates are not for the damned, not for those that are without, but these gates are for those that are within. Now, this wall of the New Jerusalem, it brings to us much of the imagery of the Old Testament. And indeed, some of the Psalms that we sing will come to mind whenever we think about this wall. You remember Psalm 51? Show kindness and do good, O Lord, to Zion, thine own hill, the walls of thy Jerusalem, build up of thy good will. Metrical version of Psalm 51, verse 18. And you remember Psalm 122, which we often sing. Pray that Jerusalem may have peace and felicity. Let them that love thee and thy peace have still prosperity. Therefore I wish that peace may still within thy walls remain, and ever may thy palaces prosperity retain. You see, the church now has walls. That's the thing. We're not waiting for them to be built. This is a consummated church, but even now the church is hedged. The church is surrounded by a wall. It's the wall of salvation. Even now the church has gates. Its gates are praise. The praises of people of God coming in and going out to the house of God. This is using the imagery of the Old Testament and conveying it into something blessed in eternity that the people of God will enjoy. The saints can never perish. Even now we're safe and secure in the walls of God's salvation. The Lord says, no man will pluck them out of my hand. They'll never perish. That wall is an eternal salvation around about the people of God. Even now the people of God can sing in faith. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. And so when you look at that wall, you're looking at your salvation. You're looking at what you have in Jesus Christ. You're looking at the defense and the security of the blood of the Lamb. And so salvation is the walls of the church and gates its praise. And that's why this, these walls are pictured as great and high. Because it's a great salvation. It's an unbreachable salvation. It's a salvation that can't be destroyed, that can't be taken away. It's a high salvation because it's come from the hand of Almighty God himself. How shall we escape? If we neglect this so great salvation, if we don't want to come into these walls, if we don't want to have the defense of God's salvation in our life. And so this is picturing the eternal safety that we have in the glory of our dear Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The walls of salvation are great and high. 
They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. And so this is what we're enjoying now as the people of God, by faith. We, we have foretastes of this now, and the consummation and the completeness of it. And so, brethren and sisters, whenever we come around God's word, week by week, what are we wanting to see? We're wanting to see the glory of the Lord, the glory of our Saviour. And we want that to be transforming and life-changing and purifying and humbling. So let us pray we'll see more of the glory of the Lord in our meetings. And let us look more at our walls of that great salvation that we possess in Jesus Christ. And as we meet in the church, let us often be around the gates. Because the gates spoke of the assembling of the people of God. The, the, the um, marketplace, the open courts were near the gate where the people would congregate. And so it's speaking about the assembling, the praises of the Lord at the gates. The gates are for the people of God. And that's all set forth in this, in this vision. So, so when we meet in the church, we have praise, we, we have preaching, we meditate on the glory, we want the Lord's face to shine upon us. We want to look into the word and to see the glory of the Lord and to be changed and transformed by it. But what a wonderful day that will be when we'll not need our Bible, we can close the Bible and we'll have the full enjoyment of light without any ignorance. And the knowledge of God without any darkness. And it will be so wonderful. So wonderful to experience. And so awful. If you miss it. If you miss it. By not having your faith in Jesus Christ.